one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much. And Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 14. Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. Quirrell, however, must have been braver than they'd thought. In the weeks that followed, he did seem to be getting paler and thinner, but it didn't look as though he'd cracked yet. I'm Matt Potts. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Jackson Bird. And this is a special episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Today we are joined by the wonderful Jackson Bird, author of the amazing book Sorted and the host of his very own YouTube channel, which you can find if you search Jackson Bird. And Jackson, you are here today to co-host with us, but also to tell us a story on this theme that you picked of obligation. What story do you have for us? Yes. Basically, about five or so years ago, I was living in New York City and a relative of mine had reached out. They lived within driving distance, a little far away and had been living there for a while, but we had never hung out in New York City before. And so they reached out asking if they could come spend a couple of days at my apartment here. And in particular, at that time, I 
think I had just been accepted into YouTube Next Up, which is this like five day intensive production program. And right before that, I had been at the Quidditch World Cup. I had taken a red eye from there to get to the production thing in Manhattan and went from the after party and picked them up and took them back to my apartment. So it was this whole thing. And the whole time, like I hadn't even exactly wanted to say, yes, you can stay with me because it was such a busy time in my life. But I felt sort of obligated because they were my family. And I also at the time had a roommate who, you know, I need to respect if my roommate is okay with having these people there. So it's just sort of this awkward situation. And like the week goes on and I've got all this stuff still happening, but I'm trying to spend time with them. And I was just trying to like make sure they were having a good time and that I was being a good host, but also that they weren't getting in the way of my roommate too much. And I was just being pulled in all these different directions. And nothing exactly came to a head. But by the end of the several days they were there, I was just like, I'm not doing that again. Like he has asked to stay with me again a few times. And I've had other people sort of ask and like, I still host people and I love to, but that has just sort of stayed with me in like, I don't think I can always just say yes anymore because I just feel obligated to too many people doing these things that I don't quite have the capacity to be doing. And the reason that that story stood out to me is because when I was trying to think of a story on this theme of times that I have felt obligated to do something that maybe I'm not ready for or like shouldn't be put on me or I don't feel safe doing or something like that, I realized I have tended to just talk through those moments when they arise and not ended up doing the thing I feel obligated to do. And I think that is one time that I actually did do a thing that I didn't really want to do and maybe shouldn't have done, but I felt obligated to do it. And so I think this is why this theme stood out to me so much in this chapter and really does throughout the Harry Potter books, because I see these things that don't seem fair to me, doesn't seem like something that someone needs to be taking on. And I know that in my life, I would maybe like advocate for myself and and talk through it and try to find the fair compromise. And so when I don't see that happening, I just get like very frustrated. Jack, what I love about that story is you've made me realize something that I've never realized before already, which is that obligations are particularly difficult when that is the only reason that you are doing something, right? Yeah. Matt, you're going to justify obligation now, right? No, I'm not. I mean, first, I just want to thank Jack for the story. And I think your comment, Vanessa, is really interesting because I think you're right that when obligation is the only thing that makes it tricky... But the other thing that makes it tricky, and this is really illuminated by Jack's story as well, is that it's very rare that we have only one obligation. Yes. Mm. The story that I hear you telling, Jack, is that you're obligated to a lot of things. You have this great opportunity that you're obligated to your own future. You need to pursue. You're obligated to family in a particular way. You're obligated to your own self-care, all these things. And the difficult thing about obligation is not when we have only one, because that's when it's really easy to fulfill an obligation. Even if we don't want to, it can be really easy when we only, only have one obligation to fulfill. It's when obligations that we feel like we have are in direct contradiction to each other. And then we have to choose. Mm -hmm. Then we have to choose which we're going to lose. Yeah, I think that's such a great point about the tension between uh, obligations and how they can contradict each other. I think that's something that really comes out in this chapter. But I also really like what you said about how that can change how we approach them in the future. That's something I kind of want to sit with as we go through the chapter. I I really like that. Yeah. So Matt, it is your turn to go first in the 30-second recap, the way you like to live. Are you ready? Dangerously? Yes. That's that's yes. not. Bravely going first into precarious places. I'm not a Gryffindor. That's not my thing. I wait for others to do it first, and then I follow. Watch if they get injured. Yes, and then I follow judiciously. That's, <laughs> that's how I prefer it. Well, tough. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. 
Okay, so the chapter starts, and uh, they're very worried about Coral because they know Coral is at risk, or they think that Coral is at risk. Uh, but Hermione's not that worried because she's got exams coming. And so they're in the library studying, and Hagrid shows up in the library, and Hagrid, lo and behold, is looking about books about dragons. And so they go to Hagrid's uh, hut, and they find out that he has a dragon. They also ask him questions about the Philosopher's Stone, and they realize that it's protected. And then uh, and then Malfoy sees the, the, the Malfoy runs in, and Malfoy sees a the dragon. They go, uh, they go to try to get to save the dragon, and Malfoy's there and gets attention, and he they get caught. Oh, it all fell apart at 20 seconds. That was so good. I spent way too much time with the first half. But you know what, team? No one does this alone. That's what I've learned from Harry Potter. It takes a community. So Yeah, you, you started similar to how I was going to. So I, I feel like I could like n- now keep going for the rest of the <laughs> more what's in the chapter. Oh, okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so Hagrid has baby Norbert, and they're trying to help take care of baby Norbert, and Ron gets injured, he goes to the hospital wing, and uh, he had left, like, a the letter to Charlie. They had decided Charlie should pick up baby Norbert, because they need to get rid of him, because he's growing... He? She? Uh, Norbert's pronouns? I'm not sure. Uh, he's growing very quickly, and Hagrid's gonna be in trouble, um, but then... Uh, Malfoy borrows a book that the letter was in, so Malfoy finds out that's what we were trying to get to. Oh, no, we're running out of time already. Uh, they go to the top of the tower, and then they get caught by McGonagall. That's, wow, that is hard. That is Jack, so that was hard. Awesome. I, think, I think between the three of us, in 90 seconds, we will complete one good 30-second recap. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the hope here. Uh, okay. Okay, Vanessa, bat and clean up. Mm-hmm. Three, two, one, Go. So Hagrid is like, I'm going to raise this baby, knows it's mummy, and the kids are like, you live in a wooden house. This is not safe. So Ron writes to Charlie and is like, we need your help. And he's like, I'm going to send some friends to pick up the dragon. No worries. Because Ron is injured, Hermione and Harry go up with Norbert. They don't know how they do it in the invisibility cloak. They meet up with Charlie's friends. They send off Norbert. Everything is fine. They come back down the stairs and they get caught by Filch. And Draco is in trouble because Draco was ratting out them. But McGonagall was like, no way. And I didn't finish either in 30 seconds. <laughs> you got to all the stuff I wanted to get to, though. So it's okay. good. Team, I, go team. Yeah, go team. Yeah. Collective It's effort. a good thing. <laughs> yes, it's a good thing Jack was here this week because we just left all this on the table only because we had the three of us. <laughs> what a great lesson in teamwork. Always need the trio. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so we have to start with this Hagrid and the kids feeling obligated to Hagrid thing, right? Because this is where I love Hagrid the most. And this is also the chapter that I think I struggle with Hagrid the most, where he's like really putting the kids in danger because of his great love of this vulnerable creature, right? So it's like first part of the sentence, bad. Second part of the sentence, amazing. And I think that He loves animals and has this desire to take care of them. But I also feel like because of the way he was raised, he feels obligated to take care of vulnerable creatures the way that nobody really took care of him. But he then puts that obligation on the kids, on like three 11-year-olds who he sticks with a dragon. And I feel like I used to come down really hard on Hagrid. And now I, I feel less compelled to, but it's still so dangerous. Well, you brought up something there about the way Hagrid was brought up. And I think because I have a similar tension with Hagrid where I love him so much, but then there are these times he puts way too much on these kids. And this is not the only time we see it, but I think you're right. It's one of the most egregious examples. But, you know, he was kicked out of Hogwarts and he was like 12 and just like lived where he lives now. And so I think to him, he might have a different sense of what is appropriate at what ages and and what people should 
be taking on at those ages. So that's actually a really good point. Right. He's like, I lived alone at 12. So these kids can help me with a little errand. Yeah. But it's not his idea to give Norbert away. I mean, he doesn't want to give Norbert away. I think that there's a degree in which they're caring for him, not because he asked them to, but because they see that he's putting himself at risk, right? That's that line from Hermione, like, you live in a wooden house, right? Like, the kids' level of obligation to him means that they are seeing risks and dangers attendant to this decision of his own that he is not seeing himself. I mean, I, this is a bad decision from Hagrid. I think it's clear that it's a bad decision from Hagrid. And I think, Jack, Vanessa, you're both right. Like, this this should not be the responsibility of the children to save him. But that's just a theme of the whole series of books because it's the responsibility right. of children to save the world, right? <laughs> But again, I guess return to this thing about like, it's so hard to gauge the level of risk and danger in the wizarding world, right? Because Mm. all this stuff is so dangerous, but there are also all these forms of magical reparation and cure. And so, especially for somebody like Hagrid, who has lived the childhood that you've described, Jack, and who has basically raised himself in this hut, like... That alone would recalibrate one's sense of risk and independence at the age of 11. Just also that the fact that when Ron's bitten by a dragon, that's an inconvenience that can be easily cured by Madame Pomfrey, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so hard to know how dangerous danger is in this world because they have access to magic. One thing that gets me is it's not just that they're like, oh, we need to get rid of Norbert. It's clear that they are taking it in turn to go help Hagrid care for Norbert. Yep. And so we've got Harry and Hermione who grew up in the muggle world. So they're like, you know, it's the wooden house line again that Vanessa said. They're like, how can you possibly think this is safe? And then there's Ron who's from the magical world, but his brother knows so much about dragons and his brother and parents have probably really hammered home to him how dangerous they are. And so I think you're right. The three of them are choosing to help him because they have perhaps a different sense of the danger here than than maybe some other 11-year-olds who grew up in the magical world. Well, and I think the fact that Ron knows, like, the name of the decree and the year that the decree was passed signals to me, Matt, that this is a, considered dangerous in the magical world also. And, yeah, right, like, I can imagine that, like, there was a lot of conversation about this when Charlie decided to go after it in his career. And Molly was like, but you are going to be in mortal danger. My clock is going to always point to mortal danger for you. And she's, like, quoting this decree. But we know that, like, Ron doesn't love history of magic. And he is like, actually, that is statute, too. Right. (laughs) And so I feel like that gives us that sense. Right. That even for Ron. Yeah, but the danger there, it seems like in the text, the danger is not that because we're afraid the dragons are going to bite us with their poisonous bites. It's that it's hard to hide from muggles Mm -hmm. if dragons are flying about, Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, Hmm. again, like, there are times in this chapter where I feel like Ron, he doesn't like getting bitten, but he's just irritated by the fact that they have to take care of Hagrid and this unwise decision that Hagrid is making. It's clear that dragons are very dangerous. We know that they are. So I'm not, I'm not, this is not a... A ditch I'm trying to die in with this interpretation. I just, (laughs) as people who are not wizards, it's so hard to know how dangerous these dangers are. And also to just, to take a hard line with somebody like Hagrid, we think about obligation as like, which ties bind most tightly? Which are the ones you cannot break? It seems like for Hagrid, the the ties that will never break are the the ties which bind him to the outcast, the, the abandoned, the orphaned. And that, of course, comes from his own childhood experience. I've been thinking about what you have both said about the risk of of being unloved. And and you've been talking about Hagrid, you know, looking out for the vulnerable and the outcast. But I think also for Hagrid, he does so much for Dumbledore 
because he can't lose Dumbledore. Dumbledore is the one who has done so much for him and and shown him so much love. And so things like protecting the stone at all costs. And I think probably even though now he loves like Harry and Ron and Hermione in their own right, you know, that probably started also from an obligation into Dumbledore. Like Dumbledore is the, the big, like that's who he can't lose. That's the love that he can't lose. And what's so sad about that, in my opinion, is that Dumbledore does not love him back well. Mm. I think it's fine when we love each other to also use each other, right? I love my partner, Peter, and I moved in with the dog, right? It's not his dog. And I'm going out of town for three days and he's watching the dog, right? Like, And so that is a moment where I am turning our loving relationship into something transactional. But I feel like there has to be a balance where you're not like just using someone And I feel like Dumbledore mostly just uses Hagrid or the non-use parts completely happen off the page. But to me, you see that in the transition Mm. from Dumbledore to McGonagall, that McGonagall, when she becomes headmistress, immediately invites Hagrid's opinion into the headmaster's office and that she, when Hagrid is going to be arrested by Umbridge, like throws her body in front of Hagrid, right? Like I feel like you see the difference between McGonagall's like relational love of Hagrid and Dumbledore's more transactional love for Hagrid. It just makes me sad that we never see Dumbledore like go for a chat with Hagrid. He's just like always having Hagrid do his grunt work. Dumbledore, it seems like what he is most obligated to is the cause or what he identifies as, you know, this this sort of generational fight against evil. And for that reason, he is willing to instrumentalize other characters, even ones that he admires or loves or or respects or likes or whatever, like like Hagrid, like Harry even, for the sake of that cause, right? And so, I mean, that's what I see kind of happening with allowing Hagrid to go to the prison in the next mm-hmm. book. It's, it's not because he doesn't care that Hagrid's going to prison. It's almost, at least the way I read Dumbledore, it's almost as if like, well, of course, Hagrid would be willing to go to prison for this cause we're both fighting for. So here he goes. That is this question of sort of competing obligations, right? And in that moment for Dumbledore mm-hmm. and also with Harry, there's no competition. Like Dumbledore's going to be like, yep, yep, this is the way it goes. This is for the sake of this cause we're engaged in, to which I we all must be more obligated. Yes, you go to jail. Harry, yes, you walk into the Forbidden Forest. Yes, all of you take these risks and make these sacrifices. And that's something that we can justifiably criticize him for doing, or at least not doing with more care, with more friendship, with more concern, with more just kindness towards those who have become instruments in this in this big plan. I feel like a very different kind of obligation is fulfilled in this dynamic between Ron and Charlie, a kind that I find very mm. endearing because there's just such fairness in this like, obligation that Charlie has, right? Uh, Ron writes to him and is like, Hagrid's in trouble. We know that Hagrid and Charlie were buddies, right? Like the first thing that Hagrid says when he meets Ron is like, I love your brother, Charlie, right? How's his work with dragons? So it's a relational thing. And then it's also relational because Ron is the one asking the favor. And then it's one that can't like easily be done, but like Charlie knows dragons. And so I just love this like, hey, can you do this for me? And this response from Charlie, I just think is so loving. And to me matches like love and relationship and obligation. And these friends of Charlie's, I love this whole dynamic. 
I did think about this passage because he, you know, Charlie doesn't come himself. He has these two friends who are coming to visit and so they can pick up the dragon on the way. And I did just sort of have a moment like reading because he says, you know, I, I think the best thing will be to send him over with some friends of mine who are coming to visit me next week. And I kind of a little bit heard in there the like the familial obligation part and the obligation to like the safety of this creature and of the public and, and everything like that. But like, He's got other stuff going on. He's got his job. He's got his responsibilities. And so he's not necessarily dropping everything to fly over to Scotland to pick up this dragon. He's going to find some other way to make it work. So I don't know. I, I appreciate that because it's like he's still doing what needs to be done, but has found a way that he doesn't have to, like, throw away his other obligations that he has, too. I mean, I think that's right. And that also makes me even think more highly of Charlie's friends, right? Because, like, who are these mm. friends? Who, like, right? Charlie shows up and says, oh, by the way, I need you real quick to violate the Warlocks Convention of 1709 <laughs> on your way back. And they're like, yeah, okay. Right, <laughs> Charlie, if you, say it's, if you say it's the right thing to do, we're there. We will show up to these people we do not know, like, and then take this dragon that they have just illegally hatched and bring it back to you. You know, violate all kinds of wizarding treaties and airspace regulations and deliver this <laughs> dragon to charlie i mean that's those are the obligations of friendship right where you're just like i need you to show up and your friend just says okay i'll show up like it doesn't ask many questions and just shows up one thing i've always been curious about is whether these friends like also work with dragons do they have experience here or not (laughs) and so that i think i think changes it a little but i think they could be feeling the obligation also to just do the right thing because if this were left up to the government not only might you know Hagrid get in trouble maybe these these kids of their friend's little brother might get in trouble but also the, like the creature itself like what might happen to Norbert if it's left up to the government the government or something and so I, like that was one thing I wanted to keep remembering here too was like Norbert is a, a living creature here that deserves to be loved and have dignity as well right and I feel like Jack that goes back to your original story right like your cousin who's coming to town for fun right like that's different than like if somebody came to town and was in danger and like literally would have nowhere else to sleep right your Mm -hmm. obligation metric would shift right and I think that you're exactly right that these friends of Charlie are like no maybe they went to Hogwarts right like maybe they knew Hagrid I like we don't know how small the wizarding world is it's also I love that you're pointing to the fact that they just like They might just be good people, not just to Charlie, (laughs) but like care politically about animals. And this might be like a moment of protest for them. Mm. There's this uh, 20th century French sociologist named Michel de Certeau, and he observed that it doesn't matter how many walkways you put in a park, there will always be a a path that pedestrians just create on their own between the paved walkways. And it's Mm. I I think it's kind of like what you're talking about, Vanessa, and also what you're talking about, Jackson, that like. Although the rules are in place in order to facilitate things, like human beings will always discern a better way, a, a truer way, and will have will want to take the risk to make that way. And so, like these friends of Charlie are in their own way doing that, whether it's because they're good friends or it's because they care about Norbert or they care about these students at, at Hogwarts, whatever the reason, right, they're showing up. And that's that's great. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, 
you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. So we have to talk about Draco, and I think my question for the two of you is, what the heck is going on with Draco? Like, He's so awful in this chapter, and I think I have a theory as to why, but, like, why is he so committed to bringing down these kids? Like, this is an obsession. Yeah, I don't—I I, I was trying to think, like, wh- okay, what—how could the theme of obligation apply to Draco here? Right. And I was really coming up short because I don't really believe— that he feels obligated to public safety and that's why he he needed to report them you know because there's like other ways he could have gone about that like his his objective here like on the surface is is he wants to get them in trouble harry and hermione he wants to get them in trouble but yeah what is the the impetus there what is his motivation where is that coming from and is there any way that obligation plays into it i'm not sure i mean on first reading, I'm tempted to think that he's just selfish. He's obligated only to himself, right? That's the only person he has any loyalty to or duty towards. Um, and I think if this book were the only book in the Harry Potter series, that's where it would end. Malfoy is just a selfish little brat, basically, right? But because we know Malfoy and his family more, I think that there's actually something more complicated and sinister going on. Because the whole logic of the pure blood. And the Slytherin house in its particular manifestation here with its close ties to kind of pure blood wizard supremacy is that loyalty to tribe, obligation to tribe comes before even your loyalty to yourself. And this is actually what we see happening in the later books where Malfoy is put at risk by his parents or his father's at risk. Like the family is willing to sacrifice one another for the sake of the Dark Lord, for the sake of this movement. It's like the dark obverse of Dumbledore's 
commitment to the cause, right? Like it's like the absolute commitment to the cause, even at, at cost of oneself. And it's only because Malfoy's mom falters in that sense of obligation in the last moment and has one moment of like concern for her son before her concern for her tribe or for her dark lord or whatever that that the thing falls apart but when you think about to whom the death eaters are obligated it's partly self because so much of their self-identity is caught up in their idea of being pure blood wizards but it's also something as i said a lot more sinister and dark like that the ideology of wizard supremacy convinces these folks to become recklessly self-sacrificial towards this really evil end and that's like a, that's that's where obligation if it's about ties that bind right it's it can also be about figuring out how to bind people to yourself even against their own interests which is what Voldemort is so good at doing with these folks that takes me back to how we started this conversation about the obligation that these kids feel that as 11-year-olds, like, this is stuff that shouldn't be put on them. And that's something that I keep coming back to. And also thinking about what you said at the beginning, Matt, about how sometimes when you go through these experiences where you have contradicting obligations and, and what you do with that can kind of define then what you do in the future when that comes up again. And so what I've been thinking about a lot is like when we read Sorcerer's Stone and if we read it just as this book or like when you read it and it was the only one that was out. And if you're like me, you read it when you were also about 11 and it made sense that kids would have all of this on them. But then rereading as an adult, I'm like, I still just can't get over the fact that they don't go talk to an adult and they think that they have to do this. And there's a line in particular that really stood out to me. It's shortly after they like see Norbert hatch and there's the egg there and they'd already been worried about the stone about exams. And so then it says, so now they had something else to worry about. What might happen to Hagrid if anyone found out he was hiding an illegal dragon in his hut and that now they had something else to worry about. It's like, but why do you have to worry about it? I know that you care about Hagrid, but like, why does this have to be your responsibility? And why does the stone have to be your responsibility? And so I, I keep thinking about that but then actually I was talking through this with my roommate yesterday and she reminded me that like when you look at all seven of the books, we realize as time goes on that actually Harry does have to do this. This is Harry's thing. Like Norbert, maybe not, but like the stone and like a lot of the other stuff is actually on Harry. And so that sort of transformation over time of maybe if he did go tell an adult sooner on about Norbert or the stone or something else, he wouldn't have. I don't know, gone through the the struggles that helped him be able to take on Voldemort later. And I, I feel like I sound a lot like Dumbledore in this moment saying that of like, Harry needs to go through these trials and tribulations because uh, I don't always necessarily agree with Dumbledore's strategy there. But it's something to think about of like, you know, isolating what they're doing in Sorcerer's Stone as 11-year-olds versus how that plays out when they're older. Yeah, Jack, thanks. That's really, I think that's really perceptive because you're right. Like so much of what's going on here is that the children having to take care of Hagrid. I mean, if we started this conversation talking about Hagrid putting the children at risk, but maybe what he's most putting them at risk of is not a dragon. It's the fact that they feel like they have to take care of him, which is not their responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the chapter opens this way too, that Ron and Harry, at least, feel like they need to take care of Quirrell. Quirrell is obviously yeah. not up to Snape. And so they are like watching out for Quirrell, keeping an eye on him because they feel like they need to take care of the adults around them. And you're right, Jack, that is just a, it's a constituent feature of these books all the way through, not just as a sense or a feeling, but as you and your roommate were talking, like, actually also maybe just truth, <laughs> right? These, the, it, it mm -hmm. is going to take these children to save them, save the world. It is going to take these children to help the adults around them survive this crisis. Yeah, and that's a little bit unsettling. 
This week's spiritual practice is florilegia. Each of us will select a line from the chapter and then put it in context, and then we'll throw our sparkling little lines, our sparklets together into a single passage and see what arises in that reading. So Jack, do you want to start us off and tell us what line you selected from the chapter? So the line is, the steep spiral staircase up to the top of the tower seemed the easiest thing in the world after that. So this line comes towards the end of the chapter. Harry and Hermione were on their way up the tower to drop off Norbert with Charlie's friends. While they're on their way, they're under the invisibility cloak. They see that Professor McGonagall had caught Malfoy and was giving him detention. And Malfoy's trying to say, you don't understand. Harry Potter's coming. He's got a dragon. She doesn't believe him. She's like, you're, you're getting points off in detention. And so Harry and Hermione, the narrator note is that going up the steep spiral staircase with Norbert after that was the easiest thing in the world. So part of why I picked it was because I feel like, yes, it's sort of the the schadenfreude of Draco got detention, but I think also that was a thing they were worried about. They were very worried about the fact that Malfoy knew, and so this is one thing that they don't have to worry about anymore. It's one thing that has been resolved, and I feel like I have felt this so often when you've got like a big, complicated, multifaceted project or challenge that's coming up, and it's so much that you have to do, and then one thing gets removed, and it's still a really big, monumental task, but because that one thing got removed, suddenly it just feels feels like you can do this. It's so easy. It's a relief. And so the steep spiral staircase up to the top of the tower, you know, going all the way up. And that's like, that is a hard thing to do, but suddenly it's the easiest thing in the world because they had just one thing that they don't have to worry about anymore. Yeah. And as you were saying, Jack, earlier on, like that they were worried about Hagrid from the beginning, that Hagrid was going to get caught. What are they going to do? And the biggest threat to that was Malfoy. And now they don't have to worry about that because nobody believes Malfoy. That's yeah. So those stairs, of course, they're easy. That's a great line. Vanessa, what's your sparklet? So the quote that I picked is, they would have felt sorry for Hagrid if they weren't so worried about what they had to do. And Jack, I feel like it's a similar vibe to what you're talking about, right? Where like, you lose capacity for certain things. There are moments where I'm like, everybody wants something for me, and I have nothing left to give. And like, regardless of whether or not that's true, it feels so true that I I lose the ability to worry about other people's problems. And my brother had a big exam today, right? Like I knew the date of this exam for months and we've been talking about it for months, but like I just got distracted by my own life and like lost track of what day it was, right? And like totally forgot to wish him luck when we spoke. And yeah, that's just like always something that I wanna work on within myself because it would be nice if they were sorry for Hagrid while helping him. But I, I, I guess I don't know how hard on myself to be or how hard on the kids to be. Yeah, no, I, I totally resonate with that. And it actually reminds me of the story that I shared at the beginning of I think that was part of the tension for me was I was just so burnt out. I didn't have the capacity for that kindness anymore. Matt, what about you? What's your sentence? So this is my line. It had a long snout with wide nostrils, stubs of horns, and bulging orange eyes. You know, the two of you had such really wise and thoughtful reflections upon why you selected the sparklets you did. I think mine is a little bit just more superficial. Like, I I think baby animals are cute. Even, like, ugly baby animals, right? Totally. And, and everything about this description <laughs> is not attractive, right? But I want to see this baby dragon, and I sort of sympathize 
with Hagrid, I also kind of want to snuggle it and take care of it, even though it's like empirically an ugly creature, right? <laughs> like there's still something adorable about it. And yeah, and, the, and when I was reading it, they were just that's what sparkled up is like how how cute this little baby dragon must have been. When I read the description, I had the same reaction. I was like, "Aw, oh, stumps of horn!" Oh, its <laughs> eyes are bulging and orange. Isn't that adorable? <laughs> I like the description. Like Harry thinks it looks like a crumpled old umbrella, and I, I feel like that's like doubly cute because it's like it's the cute animal, but then it's like a cute eleven-year-old's like interpretation of what a baby <laughs> looks like. Exactly. Like I wanted to read the whole paragraph, but I had to cut it down to a usable line for Florilegia. So I'll read all three sparklets together. The steep spiral staircase up to the top of the tower seemed the easiest thing in the world after that. They would have felt sorry for Hagrid if they weren't so worried about what they had to do. It had a long snout with wide nostrils, stubs of horns, and bulging orange eyes. I mean, it just like works as a paragraph, right? Like... (laughs) Yeah. Like, ah, oh, something relieving happened. Now they have to climb the steep staircase, but it's not that bad anymore. But they still have to do something. And then it's describing the thing that they have to deal with. This is just, this is a great 30 second recap. This is a better 30 second recap <laughs> of the chapter than what the three of us did in 90 seconds. <laughs> Actually, kind of. Yeah, I do. As much as we were just talking about, Matt, that yours was because, you know, the the baby dragon was kind of cute. I do like the idea of this is like within the paragraph we have created that that description is the personification of the challenge, you know, of, of the struggle. Yeah. And it sounds less cute after the phrase if they weren't so worried about what they had to do. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, yeah. God, wide nostrils, stubs of horns. Yeah. So let's read it in the reverse order. It had a long snout with wide nostrils, stubs of horns and bulging orange eyes. They would have felt sorry for Hagrid if they weren't so worried about what they had to do. The steep spiral staircase up to the top of the tower seemed the easiest thing in the world after that. So now what I heard in this one was that they had achieved the task by the end versus in the other order that we did for the paragraph, something else had happened, something outside of this paragraph had happened that made things seem easier or made them still worried. And then they had this task to do. Whereas in this version, it's like the the task is it's all within the the canon of the paragraph somehow. And so I feel like the trajectory is not as much of a up and down like it was in the, in the last one. This one is is just sort of more in line. To me, this one sounds really ominous. The kids are in danger, and this reading makes it sound really scary. Especially Harry and Hermione, they don't know their magical remedies for things. They don't know what's possible as far as healing in the magical world. Yeah, there's also just something in putting it in this order when, you know, in the first reading and the reading you gave, Jack, the steep spiral staircase seeming easy is as a result of the main worry having been eradicated, right? But what we actually know is that this little excursus about the dragon is not the main conflict of this book, right? Mm. Like, in the context of what they are actually going to be up against in a couple of chapters, figuring out how to get rid of this dragon is the easiest thing in the world compared to actually going through the trapdoor and engaging in this battle with Quirrell slash Voldemort, right? And so, like, there's a way wow. in which this the meaning of the sentence actually flips when you reverse the order because this this thing which seems so hard, this worry that is occupying them in this chapter, 
when compared to what they're actually going to have to deal with a couple chapters from now is is relatively worry-free. I love that. I think that's, yeah, that's really, really good. Yeah, your reading is really good. The situation sucks. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> really good interpretation, not um, situation. Yeah, I really hated that. Whenever I hurt myself as a kid, my dad used to be like, oh, well, just stub your toe and you'll forget that your yeah. head hurts. Or, you know, this idea of like just something worse has to happen to you and then your previous problems won't seem as bad. I just I hate that for everyone. I mean, once again, this is like the series in miniature because I feel like every book is a different version of that, right? Like by book seven, what they had to deal with in book one is going to seem relatively easy compared to what they're going to be up against, right? And in each book, the stakes are raised, the the challenge is more dangerous and taxing, is going to require more sacrifice and risk. So Vanessa and Jack, thank you so much for sharing your sparklets. I think this was really illuminating and fun. Thank you for inviting me. I was so excited to do it for the first time. This week's voice memo is from Jessica. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. This is Jessica, and I use she, her pronouns. I've been thinking about calling in for a while. And your request for blessings for characters really pushed me over the edge. I recently read the first few books with my eight-year-old. And one of the things that I noticed time and time again was the struggles that Professor Flitwick goes through that seem to be just background to the story. We hear that he has to stand on a box for people to see him, that he gets knocked over and pushed around, that he gets lost in the crowd time and time again. And the more I read, the more upset I got on his behalf. Why is it that a magical school doesn't have the accommodations for someone who isn't the same stature as someone else? What does this mean for the children who are there, some of whom might be smaller? What about those who might need assistive devices in a variety of ways? Harry needs glasses, so I assume there are students who need a wheelchair or some other mobility device, or students who need hearing aids or something like that. And does this mean that they also get no accommodations because the school just can't be bothered? And so I'd like to say a blessing, a blessing for those whose stories are made peripheral because no one takes the time to center them, a blessing for those who are begging just to be in the story with everyone else, a blessing for those like Professor Flitwick who make their own way despite all of the ways in which others are stopping them. Thank you so much for this podcast. I can't wait to share it with my kids. I I loved that for so many reasons, but one is because I have always loved Professor Flitwick. He has always been one of my favorites. So, you know, sharing that sort of through his perspective at the beginning really got me. But it's just such a good point about the lack of accessibility accommodations at Hogwarts. The more that I learn about the way that the world is set up for a certain kind of person, the more irate I get about it. There is, of course, the accessibility issues, but even 
the most basic things in the world. I remember one of my favorite podcasts called The Waves was covering one week whether or not air conditioning was sexist. And I was ready to blow it off. Like, this is so dumb. But then in listening to it and then learning about it, right, like temperatures in offices are set at a temperature uh, counting on the fact that a man is in a suit. And often these are the same offices, corporate law firms, et cetera, that require women to be in skirts. And so there are these two rules, one in which the men have to be in suits and therefore the air conditioning is going to be set to that level and the women have to be in skirts and therefore are going to be set up to be uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with kitchen counters. Kitchen counters are made assuming that the average person is between 5'8 and 5'10. And what? <laughs> I am 5'2. And so like kitchen counters just like aren't built for me. And then you think about children in schools and the fact that other people can't access doorways or bathroom stalls. And it's just infuriating how small a percentage of the world the entire world is built for. Yeah, Jessica, thank you so much for your voicemail. And I, I want to just give an additional kind of way of reading Flitwick, granting everything that you said and everything that, that Jack and uh, Vanessa said about it too. But I, your voicemail puts me in mind of a documentary I watched a few years ago, and maybe it's almost 10 years ago now, I think it was on PBS, about deaf parents whose deaf children were deciding whether or not they should get cochlear implants. And the kind of difficulty that that family had with deciding whether to access the accommodation because of their own rightful pride in deaf culture, in themselves as deaf, right? And because this is a magical world, I wonder if Flitwick has the magical power to lengthen his legs or to be taller, but he decides this is who I am, this is my height, and I am going to be in the world this way because I'm going to embrace who I am as I am, right? In a magical world like this, where we can imagine there are accommodations available, I think we both want to consider Jessica's point that Hogwarts could do a lot better job of taking care of folks uh, in the school. I also like the possibility that other folks are embracing the identities that they choose to embrace. I, I do really like that point, And I like the, the optimistic way of imagining that. But I, I do also really want to listen to what Jessica is bringing up about how the lack of accommodations that we can see are pushing certain people to the peripheries and like the stigmas that we do see that are attached to them in the wizarding world, the ways that, that Flitwick is getting lost in the crowds, the way that Hagrid's his size is often not accommodated for. And, you know, that was probably a big reason that he was singled out by Voldemort when he was at Hogwarts as someone to be the scapegoat. And so I, I, I really appreciate the way that Jessica tied those together. But I do also like imagining a world like the one that you proposed there. And I think that some of what Matt is talking about in the magical world is right, like that there are these other solutions that we might not know about and that the relationship gets a little you know, more more specific to a world that we don't understand, right? Like we see Hermione shortens her teeth and there seems to be more magical abilities to shift your body parts, which makes this complicated in a, a really interesting way. Right, but Jax is absolutely right. Even if it is possible, it doesn't it doesn't absolve the school of the absence of these accommodations. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, totally. The onus is always on the individual to try to fit into the world around them and not on the world to accommodate the individual, which is infuriating. (laughs) Jessica, thank you so much. That was a really wonderful voicemail. 
It's now time for us to remember the friends and family of our community who have been lost to COVID-19. Hector Cantu, 50, a mentor, mariachi, and band director. Cynthia Ritz, a middle school science teacher who made sure everyone was cared for. Kathy Faulkner, science teacher from Texas. Laura Escalanti, 69, a teacher of Spanish and Tewa who connected students to their Native American culture. Charlotte Erdely, 92, a loving grandmother and a Hungarian freedom fighter. Ann Willis, a great-grandmother in every sense. Let light perpetual shine upon them. It's now time for our blessings. Jackson, do you want to start us off? I would like to bless Fang because I feel like Fang is getting a lot of second child syndrome in this chapter, (laughs) which being the younger, like the youngest in the family is not actually something I personally experienced. But there's a part where they say like Fang had been relegated outside. He he couldn't be inside because Norbert was being too dangerous inside. I'm just like Fang is going through something here and he's not getting enough love. And so I just want to bless Fang and remind Fang that we love him. And that it's okay. Hagrid will always love him, even when Hagrid is busy with the new baby for a little bit. As second children with older brothers, Matt and I both received that blessing, Jackson. (laughs) So thank you so much. What a great blessing. Matt, what about you? Uh, We've talked about these folks a lot already in this podcast. I didn't know we were going to, but I'm going to stick with it. Charlie's friends, his nameless friends who we do not even meet. All we have is this line at the end that says that they were great. Uh, And I believe this line at the end because the fact that they showed up and (laughs) they carried this dragon across Europe. These are are good people and uh, they deserve a blessing. Vanessa, what about you? I am going to bless Madame Pomfrey for not asking Ron how he got his injury. I feel like a lot of boundaries are broken at Hogwarts all of the time. And I also think that if Madame Pomfrey were to ask what happened and Ron had to tell her, he could be punished for it. And a really easy way to get kids to stop going to the hospital wing would be if they were risking getting in trouble whenever they went in for an injury or whatever it is that brought them there. And so she's actually doing this deeply strategic and thoughtful caretaking thing. And so I want to bless Madame Pomfrey for being a wonderful nurse in general, for healing Ron, but also just for like having the right policies that protects children continuously. So Matt, this is the moment where we pick a theme for our next chapter, but we decided recently that we want to open it up for suggestions. So we're putting a little form that you can fill out on harrypottersacredtext.com. So go and let us know what you all want us to talk about. A good friend of Matt's and mine, Lauren Taylor, sent in a theme she texted me like hours after we made this decision so i told her she could go first so she selected the theme of punishment jack it's just been such an honor and a pleasure to have you with us thank you so so much for taking the time oh no it is an honor on my behalf thank you so much for having me i had an absolute blast going through this whole episode chapter whatever it is both all of the things thank you so much for having me 
You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook Common Room. Join our local groups and come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. You can leave a review for us on iTunes, and please send us a voicemail with your blessing. We are Not Sorry Production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank for one more time Jackson Bird for joining us, Jessica for this week's voicemail, Molly Baxter, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones for our COVID memorial. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. gonna do a bit because i thought that you guys would both have nailed it and then i won't have had anything to say but now i'll just do a regular 30 second recap i guess because there's so much left to do (laughs) (laughs) this week's episode of harry potter and the sacred text is brought to you by redfin let's say for some reason you can't get back to grimold place so you need to find a new home if you're like me you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. AdWanted UK is the provider of single-source media data for agencies, media owners, brands and academic institutions. And thanks to our rebranded news offering called The Media Leader, we can also lead the way in championing excellence and inclusion in the media industry. To find out more, simply visit the-media-leader.com to subscribe to our daily bulletins. The Media Leader from AdWanted UK.